Our first Bible reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 42. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 42. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he travelled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. If you could turn with me again to the wonderful book, the wonderful Gospel of Mark. I'll be reading on from our reading before, so that will start at um, chapter 1 and verse 43, and then going on to chapter 2 and verse 12. So that's Mark chapter 1 and starting at verse 43. Let's hear from God's word. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some people came, bringing bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, 
took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Friends, as we take a closer look at God's wonderful word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we we recognise that without your wonderful Holy Spirit, without his illumination, these are just words. Words on a page. And so, Father, we pray that as we take a closer look now, help us to see that these aren't just words, but life for us if we respond to Jesus. Help us now, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Well, having found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. For this is why I have come. And with that little correction from Jesus to the disciples, something big, something very important is instantly revealed by Mark in his gospel, isn't it? And that is, there is Jesus' agenda for this world and then there's the world agenda for Jesus. Jesus' agenda versus the world's agenda. And what is Jesus' agenda for this world? Well, as we've stepped out of Mark's Gospel for a bit, real quick recap. Having been declared son by the Father, and then anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule, Jesus leaves the Jordan River, doesn't he, and goes into the desert to stare down the false ruler of this world, Satan. Having sent him packing, Jesus leaves the wilderness and immediately begins preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Good news because when you respond to it with repentance and faith, Well, let's just say things change for you, change dramatically for you. How so? Well, who can forget what happened at Simon Peter's house just the night before? Demons cast out, sickness, illness, immediately gone. The message undeniable. Repent and believe in Jesus and you will be healed restored, made new from the inside all the way out, spiritually and physically. So that's King Jesus' agenda, to heal and completely restore God's fallen image bearers back to him, body, soul and spirit. But with those words from the disciples in chapter 1, verse 38, we see a slightly different agenda has emerged, don't we? Healing, yes, Healing, absolutely, but a healing that focuses on the body. Soul and spirit, well, you know, that can wait. Now, to put it crudely, the crowds now searching for Jesus see him as the ultimate pill for every ill. But friends, as we all know, when it comes to sickness, when it comes to illness, pills that take away the symptoms and remove the pain, are good, aren't they? But those medications don't cure us. 
Covering over, relieving symptoms doesn't get rid of the underlying cause. But that underlying cause is precisely what this healer has come to deal with. To bring not short-term relief, to offer not a cover, but the cure. The true, ultimate and complete cure for the fallen human condition. But with the crowds, indeed, his own disciples simply wanting the quick external fix, how is Jesus going to correct that? How is he going to show what he brings heals the whole person? Well, friends, we don't have to wait too long for the answer because what these new next two healings, what happens in them speaks directly to this. Now Mark introduces the first one with this. Have another look at it. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now friends, before we go any further, it's important to understand the the illness that we're actually dealing with here. Because here's the thing. Back in the ancient world, there were a whole host of horrible diseases that we don't actually have to deal with today. But friends, they were all child's play compared to leprosy. Such was the fear associated with this particular disease that anyone who was found with it was immediately cast out from all society, basically left to wander till you breathed your last. Why was that the case? Why was there such fear around this? Well, friends, apart from the way it presented, and I'll leave that to you to look up later on if you're interested, apart from that, this deadly disease was passed on by human-to-human contact. As such, I guess the best way to understand the fear associated with leprosy is to imagine if cancer today was contagious. If that was the case, take our response to COVID over the last couple of years and ramp it up just a notch or two. Get diagnosed with this, friend, and you're isolating. You're physically distancing for the rest of your days. And as we're talking Israel here, this isolation meant you weren't just cut off from people. No, you were cut off from the temple. So physically cut off, but worse, you were spiritually cut off as well. In other words, to be a leper meant you were unclean, not just on the outside, but all the way in, all the way through. Unclean, body, soul and spirit. So friends, now we understand both the physical and spiritual ramifications of this disease. Let's go back to the moment this leper spots Jesus. Breaking all physical distancing rules, he invades Jesus' personal space. Having done that, you can bet it's just him and the leper now. The disciples backtracking at a rapid rate, half calling out for him to beat it, and the other half pleading with Jesus to back away immediately. But despite the yells and howls of protest, 
Jesus stays put, doesn't he? And so does the leper. Falling on his knees, he begs him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion for this man, look at what Jesus now does. Verse 41. Rather than simply commanding the disease to leave him, Jesus reaches out his hand and makes physical contact. Now this act, according to the stipulations in Leviticus, immediately renders Jesus himself unclean. And now as a close contact, he is now to isolate until he is given the all clear by a priest. But even if he comes through unscathed, Jesus' ministry surely won't be. For word will soon be out, Jesus the leper toucher, Jesus the unclean. But rather than the leper transferring his uncleanness to Jesus, look at what happens instead. Verse 41. Be clean, Jesus says to him. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Be clean, Jesus says. How clean is this man? now standing before him. Well, look at what Jesus now says to him. He sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, why does he need to do that as his number one priority? Why the urgency to do this when Jesus hasn't once commanded that before? Well, because of the nature of this illness, remember, leprosy cut this man off socially, but worse, spiritually. But this man who has been cut off from God is cut off no longer. And this must be immediately acknowledged. Now, how does the first century Jew do that? Well, not by running off and telling his mates, but by going straight to a temple priest that he might offer them the appropriate thanksgiving for his healing, for his spiritual restoration. And you could just imagine the conversation when he gets there, couldn't you? Well, how were you cleansed, son? How did your miraculous, your, your leprosy miraculously go? Who restored you back to God? Answer, Jesus. So get to the temple and testify that truth to them that they might know the full healing humanity desperately needs, horizontal and vertical, physical and spiritual, has arrived and arrived in me. Go now and testify to the ones who need to hear that. And so off he goes. But to get there, this bloke has to pass through a lot of people on the way, doesn't he? And do you think he could keep his mouth closed? Do you think 
you would have been able to keep your mouth closed if you were instantly healed of this horrific terminal disease. And so verse 45, have a look at it. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And so Jesus' agenda, his inside-out, full healing agenda, gets lost in the hysteria and the noise, swamped once more by the people's agenda for Jesus. So much so, end of verse 45, have a look. He could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. But all is not lost, because thanks to all the noise on the street, word does reach the temple. Word that a leper has instantly and miraculously been cured. A Sabbath rolls around and sure enough, there he is, back on his seat in the synagogue, worshipping once more. The name on everyone's lips, Jesus. And so the temple hierarchy form a posse, a delegation, to find out what Jesus' agenda is straight from him, from his own lips. And they don't have to wait long, do they? Chapter 2, verse 1, have another look. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So what was the topic of that sermon? Could it have been about the cleansing he performed just days before? The healing that caused such a massive stir? Did Jesus make his way back to town to provide the testimony that the leper failed to give? That is that cleansing, reconciliation, healing in our relationship with God has arrived and is found in him? I would say more than likely But as Jesus begins to hit his strides, little did the crowd know they're about to get a little extra help to drive his point home. Back to the story. Have another look. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So how do these men carrying their mate on a stretcher reckon on getting him to Jesus? Well, it turns out they've hatched a plan, haven't they? Not to go through the crowd, but up and over them. Once roughly above where Jesus was, they then get to work, don't they? Middle of verse 4, they made an opening in the roof and after digging through, lowered the mat the paralysed man was lying on. And so comes Jesus' application to his sermon. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now friends, you can be sure, those men 
who are peering down their freshly cut manhole, along with their friend on the floor, were not quite expecting that. No, no, they're expecting how things have gone in the last few weeks, how things went just the other day for the leper. That is for Jesus to look at this man's physical problem and sort that out. But not today. No, this time this man's obvious physical issue is completely ignored by Jesus as if it doesn't even exist. Instead, Jesus zeroes in on this man's other problem. His greater, deeper, internal problem. The problem Jesus' sermon is almost certainly about. And so he looks at him and heals that. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now having said that, you can be sure the crowd, the men on the roof, and most certainly the man on the mat, now expect Jesus to direct his attention to the legs. But it doesn't come. Today it would seem there'll be no muddying of the waters with a physical healing. No misinterpretation that Jesus' agenda is to make our short life down here just a little bit more comfortable. No, with those five words, Jesus' agenda is clear. He has come to deal with the illness that destroys life itself. Life here and into the next. And that disease is sin. Son, your sins are forgiven. At this, everyone was amazed and they praised God. Actually, that's not quite the response, is it? That's going to come a little later. Why? Well, could it be we don't see sin for the destructive body, soul, killer, that it truly is. Yes, we see the horror of useless legs, don't we? But sin? Not so much. True for them. And I think true for us as well. I mean, how would you feel if you were the one lying on the mat that day and Jesus spoke those five words to you? Grateful? Or disappointed. Imagine if this was your story and the story stopped right there. Jesus now moves on, goes on to his sermon. After a minute or two, you give your friends the nod and they slowly haul you back up through that hole. And then they take you back home. Home the way you came, on your mat, still unable to walk. This is how it's going to be for the next 20, 30, 40 years for you. Would you be rejoicing at Jesus' words to you or disappointed? Angry even? How hard is it for us to not have the same agenda for Jesus as the crowd? To seek just like them for him to bring us some outside help an external healing, rather than valuing, treasuring the internal healing 
He has come to bring. The eternal healing he's come to bring. It's hard, isn't it? It's real hard. It is hard to value something that we can't see or touch. I mean, how do you value forgiveness for sin? How do you conceptualise its true worth? Measure it when it's invisible. Well, friends, this difficulty we all have is why God in his kindness and providence doesn't leave the story just there. Because remember that religious delegation now tailing Jesus? Well, they do put a yardstick against Jesus' words here. Verse 6, have a look. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk? What is easier to say? Well, knowing their hard hearts, their answer would be something like this. Well, Jesus, it's easy for you to say sin's forgiven because, mate, there's no proof of that. No sign you've done anything significant in this man's life whatsoever. Just words. So easy for you to say forgiven. Because if you say to this man, get up, Pick up your mat and walk. Well, the power of that declaration can be tested now, can't it? Immediately, obviously, and clearly. So these two statements are miles apart, except for one thing. Only God can forgive sins. And only God can say to a paralytic, get up, pick up your mat and walk, and for him to do it. Only God can see either of those two statements through. And so Jesus does the second to prove the first. The outward to prove the inward. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Here endeth the lesson, except for one critical Detail. The harder of these two statements is not legs be straight, but sins be gone. And there is one in that room who knows that truth. And friends, Jesus knows full well what it is going to take to straighten that illness out, doesn't he? And that day, 
is still ahead of him. But when complete, when that stone is rolled away, the wonder and awe of the paralytic on his feet is going to be surpassed by the wonder and awe of Jesus back on his feet along with the promise that whoever believes in him is going to do the same. Rise from their death mats to walk again. Raising a paralytic is great. It's wonderful. Raising the dead, though, free from sin and judgment, fit for eternal glory, how can you compare? What is easier? Sin's forgiven. Well, get up, take your mat and walk. Sins forgiven is harder. But sins forgiven is precisely what Jesus came to do. And so the hard work, the harder work of the cross. Was the leper there to see that day? Did the paralytic walk up on the hill on his two good legs? And ponder Jesus' horrific end? Who knows? But wherever they were, Jesus was sweating it out. He was bleeding it out to secure that cleanse, to follow through with his promise to the paralytic on that day. Secured with those final words, it is done. It is finished. Brothers and sisters, many healers have come and gone. Many religious gurus who claim this and claim that, but their solutions are all skin deep. Only one did the harder work, the hardest job of all, to bring sinful you, sinful me, the cure. Body, soul and spirit. Only one who can call you back on your feet when your days are done. And that one is the one who took humanity's sin and nailed it to that tree. Has Jesus done this harder work for you? Have you seen this healer for who he actually is? The healer of your soul. Has he applied this healing to you with those wonderful words? Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a wonderful passage of Scripture this is. Jesus showing that he is the full cleanser inside and out. The one who can say to us, forgiven. Sins be gone. And Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for a hard work done for us that we will never fully comprehend. Jesus' death for us on a cross to take away those sins. Heavenly Father, if we have known and, and trusted in Jesus for a long time, we pray this morning that you might clarify that truth more so that we might know you and follow you and love you more. And Father God, if there's anyone here who hasn't seen that or hasn't known that or hasn't heard that, Lord, may they hear those words for the first time this morning from him. Sins forgiven. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name.
Amen.